Hey everyone, I'm Joe Bauer and welcome to another episode of Without a Path. Today I'm sharing my conversation with Pip Jones of pipandthecity.com. Pip was in town from Wales recently doing a little tour of Dusseldorf and we met up outside of a coffee shop I'd like to hang out at to watch the trams go by. Now because there were trams, you might hear some, well, tram sounds in the background, which also means there's occasionally the abrupt and awkward cut. But other than that, I think we kept things on track. Ha! See what I did there with the trams and the track? Please don't write me hate mail. Now let's get over to Pip, who's going to start off by telling us a bit about her childhood hero and how that started her zest for travel. My name's uh, Portia Jones, or Pip Jones, to use my nickname. Uh, I've been known as Pip since I was about four, as I was obsessed with Pippi Longstockings, because she used to go on a lot of adventures, and I wanted to just be like her when I was a kid, so... Yeah, that's a little nickname for me. I used to love me. that, that uh, the movie when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, like, and me. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah. No, I just I wanted to be like her, and I used to beg my sister to plait my hair to defy gravity. You know how she sort of has it going upwards, but right. sadly my sister couldn't do that. So. What ever happened to Pippi Longstocking? I, like it's like been question in the back of my head. Like there was that great first movie, and then they never did anything else. I know it's really so. Do you know what? That's uh, something I'm gonna have to look into as soon as I <laughs> well, get you can, home. Maybe you could be the uh, the reboot. They're doing reboots for everything these Pippi days. Pippi Longstocking is 2.0. <laughs> She's gone blonde now. <laughs> She's all grown up. Pippi's gone blonde. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, um, I travelled on and off for 10 years. Um, I worked abroad, studied abroad, backpacked by myself, did lots of female solo travel, um, which is now a thing. Obviously, mm-hmm. I think everyone just thought I was a bit mad when I was doing it at 19. And but you were doing it before it was a thing, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, a long time ago. Um, but yeah, I just I wanted to travel, and a lot of my friends either weren't able to or didn't want to. So I just was like, well, I'm going on adventures, so I did. Um, and then I ended up coming back to Cardiff for a short period of time. Met my now husband, Luke, um, and I, I sort of didn't know what to do with myself. And he said, why don't you start one of those travel blog things? <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know, man. Do people read those? So I kind of did a travel and food blog, which is called Pip in the City, and. Yeah, I guess people do read travel blogs. It kind of took off a bit, and now I get to go on lots of trips um, and write about lots of different countries and places and experiences. And the kind of angle I take is um, quite like, it's a bit cringy, but I like to call it affordable luxury. So I've done all the backpacking in my 20s. I've stayed in $4 a night hostels. You know, I've stayed and lived in a hammock at one point. You know, I've done all the... Lived in a hammock? I did live in a hammock in Australia wow. <laughs> when I was working over there. Um, I taught outdoor education. So we take kids uh, hiking and camping throughout the national parks in New South Wales. So Monday to Friday, I lived in a hammock. And then on the weekends, I lived in my boss's garage. <laughs> um, Moving so, up hammock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I did a lot of uh, crazy adventures. And now my blog sort of focuses on, because I'm a little bit older and married, so I kind of write from the perspective of what would Luke and I like to do for a holiday. And, you know, we'd like to stay in, you know, perhaps more boutique hostels or nicer hotels. Got a bit more money now, so you can go to slightly nicer restaurants. You know, I, I, as a broke backpacker, I lived on noodles and like the hostel barbecues, um, which a lot of the time you say barbecue, so you think, oh, you know, cold slaw, salads, burgers. No, like cremated sausage handed to you in half a 
folded bread. <laughs> Here's your dinner, mate. I'm like, what? <laughs> this can't be a thing. So, yeah, it's just because, I'm, like I said, I'm slightly older now. My audience is slightly older. They've got a bit of money, and they just want to do kind of nice experiences, cultural experiences, nice foodie places. Right. You know, Travel without the bed bugs. Kind of thing. Yeah, that kind of thing. And, it's you know, I'm, I loved my backpacking years. I wouldn't change them for the world, but... You know, like I said, now I'm a little bit older, a little bit more budget. I'm like, where can I stay that's nice? And, you know, I don't you know, find cockroaches, you know, <laughs> under my pillow at 4 a.m. or the lights aren't, like, flickering out or the air conditioning's, like, broken, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah it's just kind of nicer. So. I'm with you. I'm, I'm happy to do it once and yeah. for a few times in my life. But, you know, I like to, 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 to actually sleep and not worry about, yeah. you know, who's crawling in, in the bunk beneath me or what sounds or weird yeah. interesting noises that they yeah. might make <laughs> or people snoring that's another one right exactly uh five o'clock in the morning and you're like oh my god <laughs> yeah i've stayed in some uh, strange hostels one was in cambodia and it was uh, a dollar a night and my friend who i was staying with said to the, the proprietor she said um where's the shower and he went over there and we looked and it was a bucket <laughs> Well, when in Cambodia. <laughs> yeah, and uh, my friend got a little bit distressed, so I tried to comfort her with, don't worry, Ruth, we can always wash in the river. <laughs> this this made her more upset. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, I've had incredible experiences. I've been very lucky, and now I get to do lots of different experiences um, in and around Europe, America, those kind of places. So, yeah, very fortunate. <laughs> so a couple of things came up that I, I wanted to ask you about. I'll oh, go with, uh, with, with Wales first, because you're from okay. Wales. I am. And I just read something uh, recently that, that interested me, talking about how this writer, who is Welsh himself, mm-hmm. felt that Wales is increasingly being culturally dominated by England, and mm-hmm. that it's, as opposed to maybe Ireland, you yeah. know, you have to learn Gaelic in schools, and I think Scotland may be the same, and obviously I yeah. know yeah, Ireland's not part of the United Kingdom anymore, yeah. um, but that this heavy English influence has happened over Mm -hmm. the islands and that Welsh, compared to everything else in that region, has started to lose its identity and and increasingly has, like, kind of the same outlook as England. How do you Mm -hmm. feel about that? I mean, I sort of feel both ways about it. I'm from Cardiff originally, and that's where I'm I'm based now in between travels, and Cardiff's always been a very multicultural city, so it's always been a bit of a, a mishmash of... Indian people, Pakistani. I do believe we've got the largest Somali community outside of Somalia as well. Really? Yeah. yeah. How did that happen, do you know? I'm not entirely sure of the history of it. Um, I just, I, I read it um, in a history book and I, I actually never followed up on why that was, but it's obviously inspired me now. <laughs> um, but being a port city, I imagine, has got a lot sure. to do with it. So actually, Wales has sort of been fighting back against sort of like, you know, uh, I suppose what you call English dominance, which sounds really negative. I don't mm-hmm. tend to see it that way, but you know, and homogeny and all those kind of things because now you do have to learn Welsh in school. Oh, you and, do? Yeah, you do have to learn Welsh in school now. And also, we've um, the Welsh Assembly are bringing in laws about um, the Welsh language uh, being sort of a, a Welsh first policy in public sector. So, for example, um, any literature, the Welsh language will be first now and then the English second. Interesting. So, yeah, there's a bit of a fight back and 
and culturally as well you know there's um sort of like welsh classes coming up welsh folk music that kind of thing so i think people are trying to sort of like retain our our cultural heritage and kind of there's a there's a bit of a boom with like welsh producers and welsh food all that kind of stuff it's for me i find it's just knowing where to look in wales okay that is sort of like welsh culture but it might not necessarily be in the in the main cities if you go to north wales for example there's lots of um Welsh-speaking communities up there. Mm-hmm. There's a huge foodie focus in uh, Wales now as well, um, especially in North Wales, lots of fish restaurants. Okay. Um, in fact, the Welsh Tourism Board at the moment is promoting Year of the Sea. So that's kind of like the, every year they do a different theme, and at the moment it's Year of the Sea, so there's a huge emphasis on kind of like our local produce, local fish, cockles. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever had cockles. Uh, I have not. Sounds, yeah, they are an sounds acquired, like a thing. <laughs> they are an acquired taste. Um, so yeah, so I think there is a kind of pushback against sort of like becoming too much like England because mm-hmm. we want to re- retain our sort of cultural identity. So um, what is that for you? What is a Welsh cultural identity? Because I don't even, I mm-hmm. couldn't even tell you. I know Cardiff is yep. the city and I know that there's a beautiful coastline, but I don't that know is. anything about uh, about the cuisine. Uh, yep. Linguistically, I know there's another language yep. and I only know that because there's like that viral video of the weatherman yeah. running through the cities and then there's yeah. like that one that's like 50 letters long that he just... Oh yeah, the longest station. Yeah, it's very much tied up within our language. Rugby, huge, huge part of our culture as well. We love rugby in Wales, absolutely love it. So you should definitely come to Cardiff on a match day. Everyone's in red, everyone's singing. That's another Welsh cultural thing. Lots of male voice choirs as well. Lots of singing especially on football and rugby days um, and like I said Welsh cuisine it's it's sort of it's something that to me always felt quite dated and what they're trying to do now is come up with these kind of artisan producers and sort of revive it in a way so sort of there's these little companies springing up um, selling like Anglesey sea salt for example or lava bread which is a form of dried seaweed um, and there's sort of like an emphasis on like local sort of like lamb because obviously we've got a lot of sheep in Wales, probably aware. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and it's sort of like a foodie kind of revolution. There's lots of pop-up restaurants. So not just focusing on Welsh cuisine either, just food in general, uh, especially in Cardiff. I always thought the food scene years and years ago was very bland and very dominated by chain restaurants. And now there's, you know, there's foodie festivals, there's pop-up stores um, there's a place called Depot and what they've done is they've taken a disused warehouse and they've turned it into this really funky street food place so you can have lots of like different cuisines and they change um, suppliers all the time so yeah I, I feel like we're sort of in Wales you know we're we're a proud people and we're trying to we're trying to retain our heritage and kind of push back against you know sort of like homogeny and sort of just becoming like a smaller England right you know, we, we want to be like you know we're welsh and proud we have our own language we have our own food we love rugby we love singing we love tom jones he's like a god to us tom jones like <laughs> yeah so we still love him <laughs> um so yeah i think wales is a really interesting place to visit um perhaps not somewhere people would necessarily think of visiting in the uk um but i would really recommend it there are a lot of differences from England especially if you know where to look you know in the little towns the coastlines you know places like Aberystwyth St David's um, it's like a tiny little city but beautiful cathedral um, I just went camping recently in Llangeneth and um, it's this beautiful little town um, in South Wales and it's got amazing surfing but again people don't know about it people I think when they think of surfing in the UK automatically think of a place called Newquay in Cornwall and actually, uh, Llangeneth has got excellent surfing. 
and there's a beautiful campsite right next to it where you can go camping you know, it's not very expensive and they've got a gorgeous beach you know so yeah I just think Wales is definitely worth a bit of research looking into and planning a trip there. Yeah I've definitely been interested in, in going this from the imagery I've seen mm. but also because I, I know they're just trying to be this resurgence of you know promoting its own culture and not yeah. trying to be, be down it but I'm glad to hear that you think that it is kind of fighting back and, and trying oh, to promote absolutely. itself. Absolutely. So another thing I want to ask I want to talk a little bit more about your travels. Mm -hmm. One thing that stuck out to me and reading a little bit about your work is uh, cocktails in Palestine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was asked to um, speak at a conference in Israel uh, years ago and I, in the hostel I stayed in I, I met a Palestinian and he was like, have you ever been to Palestine? I was like, well no, I've never been to Israel, I'm new to this part of the world. He was like, oh well, my friend runs like tours, they'll, they'll take you tomorrow if you want. So I was like, sure. So, uh, the, this Palestinian, right answer. yeah, this Palestinian guy just took me and a couple of the other people from the hostel just through Palestine, and it was really informal. Um, we just kind of walked around the, the markets, talking to people, um, and then we ended up on a, a rooftop bar, like drinking cocktails at sunset, and it was just absolutely crazy. We'd spent the afternoon in the West Bank as well. We walked around. We actually talked to some of the soldiers as well, like because the Israeli soldiers. Yeah, and that to me is like a big, a big part of travel is, is speaking to lots of different people and hearing lots of different perspectives and, you know, and not forming sort of like ideas and opinions just from what you've read from stories is actually going to these places and speaking to like the local Palestinians and like, you know, all the people that are affected by the situation there and just kind of, you know, making up your own mind about the situation and what's going on. So it was really interesting to go and, and kind of see that the place and meet all the people and talk to them and yeah it was, it was a sort of very surreal moment in my life when I was on a rooftop bar in Palestine mm -hmm. drinking a cocktail and I was like I did not plan the day to turn out like this. <laughs> Do you remember what the cocktail was? Oh gosh. I don't know why something... that's the thing I'm thinking of but I'm just oh, curious man. like it's kind of picture you on the rooftop and looking yeah. over Palestine. And... I want to say a Cosmo only because it was served in a sort of martini glass okay. so I'm a match, and I normally drink Cosmos so they're one of my favourites. <laughs> Uh, Cosmos and Mojitos. Um, so I, I'm, I've got a photo somewhere. I have to try and dig it out to send to you. But um, I'm pretty confident it was a, it was a Cosmo. <laughs> and so was that part of the tour? You say you spoke with Israeli soldiers. Was that part of no, the? No, I just I'll talk to just, anyone. <laughs> just went up to them and said. Yeah, hey. I just went hey, you know, and was just talking to them, and they were just kind of just talking about their lives and just in general. And again, it was very like non-political they were sure. I was just talking to them just person to person really and then again I was talking to the market traders in Palestine and they were really interesting and friendly and just kind of wanted to to give you their, their oh try our bread try and I was like I can buy it it's not it's not a problem but they were really enthusiastic about their produce and speaking to people from outside of the region as well so yeah, it was definitely a, a wonderful interesting experience and I, I really really want to go back because I went before I started my blog so I really want to go back and, and experience it again and sort of try and write a, a sort of article. And well, it sounds like you have a pretty vivid memory of the experience if you yeah, go back it was, and bring that back. It was really profound, like really, it was such an interesting trip uh, to go to both of those places and kind of, you know, see lots of different like cultures and like I said, talk to different people and yeah, it was, it, it, was, it had a really profound effect on me. Um, 
and it was quite it was quite funny because uh, I, I went on Facebook and I was like posting pictures of the West Bank and my family were like what are you doing where are you and yeah it, it was just it, you know I was like oh it's you know it's fine I'm with a local Palestinian everything's good you know like don't freak out <laughs> yeah but it was definitely an interesting experience and I think you know you read so much about the the situation over there and I think you know a, a way a good way of having an understanding and, and this applies to a lot of places is to go and experience it for yourself and go and speak to the people who are actually living in these situations you know I think that's a, a, a good way of forming your own opinions really absolutely and, and the only time I've actually been to the region was in Jordan I did 10 mm. days there and to to Jordan. <laughs> oh, it's it's fantastic. But before going, I had a lot of people like just kind of mm-hmm. blobbing the entire Middle East together, saying oh, don't yeah. go there because of all the reasons yeah. that that Absolutely. you would pick from news. And now having gone there, there's specific moments that I can pull out of saying, why, whether it's you know um, a guy named Osama who picked me up at the airport and talking mm-hmm. about you know, what his name and what his uh, last name actually really translate to. Yeah. Uh, it was like a uh, mission of peace or something like yeah. that, it, that his last name, I, f- I forget that translated to. And uh, so I could pick, pick that out of just how hospitable mm-hmm. he was or having dinner uh, in, in Petra with a, with a local family, like so these little things that I could pull out and kind of sprinkle over people who are like a Jordan or a Middle East and, yeah. and kind of have this... Uh, Boogeyman. Precon- yeah, preconceived ideas. Right. About so, a region. is there anything, any specific conversations or moments in Palestine that you're able to pull out to kind of better humanize a people that are, at least in, I don't know about in Welsh media, but in the US, it's very kind of monolithic of mm-hmm. what's going on there? Yeah, I just think that for me, it was just people, I expected the talk to be uh, very political with locals that's that's kind of what I expected and actually what I found was people were just really just wanting to talk about their everyday life they just wanted to talk about their children how they're doing at school um maybe this was just the, the people I met you know um but yeah I, I found rather than just sort of like making comment on on the area and the, the the history and the struggles people just wanted someone to to kind of discuss their everyday feelings and you know, uh, the local market trader was telling me about his daughter and, you know, she could count to ten and all this, you know, and, and was telling me about the local produce. And, yeah, I, it surprised me. And I think it's just because, you know, the, when you're living in these kind of regions, life just, to some extent, I suppose, has to go on, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so, yeah, it was it really surprised me that the, the talk was centred much more around their feelings, about their everyday lives and, you know all that kind of stuff I expected to go and everyone would constantly be talking about the, the political situation there and actually a lot of people was just telling me about their you know their families right. or what they did for work that kind of thing which was you know kind of nice as well you know it was, right. it was really because that's kind of what I was interested in as well just to hear these stories about people you know what they did for a living and you know mm-hmm. you know they'd always have like a, a funny story about a, an uncle and he did that and he sold that and yeah, I just it was it was a it was an unusual but really refreshing experience. And I definitely there. think you should write about that because that's yeah. the kind of stuff that that I think people need to see more of mm. and hear those kind of conversations. Like you said, you know, this you may agree or disagree with certain political aspects of your own country or other countries, but you know, you've got to as a person that lives in that area, you've got, you've got to live your life as well to some extent. You've got to live through these situations, and yeah, I think maybe that would be a really interesting article to write. It would be like the everyday stories of the people who live in this region to, to maybe show that it's 
you know, that there's more to their lives than just the political situation. They, they go to work, they go to school, you know, that kind of thing. My thanks to Pip for coming on the show. If you want to follow up with her, her travels, you can find her at pipandthecity.com. Before we go, I wanted to quickly mention that I've got some words, pictures, and video up at withoutapath.com on my trip to Mittenwald over on the edge of Bavaria. You've got violins, hiking, and of course, schnitzel. Thanks again to Pip for coming on. Thanks for listening. And hey, have a good week. He says, no santo, give me love.